0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, Happy New Year, and Merry Christmas. How do you like that? All in one, one blow. Let's, um, let's pray together. So God, um, I give you thanks for today. And as we're in the midst of um, this time, I pray um, that you would make us aware of your presence. We give you, thank you thanks for your goodness, your grace, and your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's almost a new year. Have you thought about any resolutions yet? You know, that's the big thing, right? You gotta start thinking about what do you wanna change in your life? What do you wanna be different? All that kind of stuff. And it was interesting. So it turns out, one of the late night hosts was saying a little while ago that there are now more overweight people in America than average weight people. Did you know that? So there are now more overweight people in America than average weight people. And the point of that is that, so that means that overweight people are now the average. So if you're thinking about losing weight this year, guess what? You're already there, right? So that's good news. We're in the midst of this season on wonder, and we're trying to figure out what does it mean to really come to God with all of our our wonders, the things we wonder about, the questions, but also to recapture the sense of who God is and how God's moving us in the midst of Christmas and moving us throughout this new year. Um, there's a a scholar named Tom Wright who actually um, has written a lot of stuff, but he was at a Christmas Eve service one night. And as he was there, he noticed another author that he recognized that, that he knew had really sort of written against Christianity. Like he really didn't find Christianity all that compelling. And so as they were leaving, they sort of bumped into each other at the door as they were walking out of this Christmas Eve service. And um, Tom said to him, Or actually, the other author said to Tom, you know, I'm not um, much on Christmas, but I finally figured out why people like it. And Tom said, really? Well, why do you think that's true? Why do people like Christmas? And he said this, because a baby threatens no one. So the whole thing is a happy event that means nothing at all. So you can tell there's a big skepticism in this person, but it's something that sort of echoes with us as well because when we come to Christmas, what does it mean? How do we actually enter into this and understand it? You know, it's interesting that he thinks that a baby doesn't threaten all because actually this baby that was born threatened uh, one of the greatest kings of that time, a king named Herod, so much that as the wise men came, he questioned them and asked them. And here's what somebody wrote about that. They said that while heavenly angels are singing, there's an attack being planned. While the wise men bring their gifts, swords are being drawn. While the cattle are lowing, an army is marching with orders to find that child and to kill him. And we all know or have heard about the slaughter of the innocents, which is what King Herod actually did during that time. So a baby threatens no one. Actually, babies really do change our lives, don't they? I mean, here's a couple of things I think to think about. You know, Maybe you can identify with these things if you've had a kid. Um, here's a question that a young mother asks. She says, I'm two months pregnant now. When will my baby move? The answer with any luck, right after he finishes college. <laughs> Here's another question Should I have a baby after 35? No, 35 children is enough. <laughs> What's the most reliable method to determine a baby's sex? Answer childbirth. The husband and wife were making their first doctor's appointment um, after prior to the birth of their first child. And after everything checked out, the doctor took a small stamp with indelible ink. And he put it on the wife's stomach and stamped her stomach. So the couple was curious when they got home to see what the world this was about. And so the husband went fishing and found a magnifying glass. And as he looked at it, it said this. When you can read this, come back and see me. Come on, you get that, right? Because things expand, they grow. Yeah, that's right. So the fact is, is that children really do thrust us into real life. They get right down to it. They change our lives. And it's surely this is true of this baby Jesus who has come into the world. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. It's interesting in that passage, Paul is saying it's the fullness of time has come, but literally what he's saying in the language is that God filled time with God's self. So Christmas is really not some harmless story. It's actually a story about a radical invasion of God who comes into the real kind of world in which we live. A world where there's injustice and where there's unrest, poverty and hatred, jealousy, and both the fear and the longing that things would be different. So, today we join Luke again on this journey, looking at what it is that he has to say. And we know we've been talking about him being this investigative journalist, which he has been. He wants to make sure that everybody understands who this child is and what the context for this child is. It's the long promised Christ, which in the Greek means the anointed one, it's the Messiah, the one who the prophet Isaiah predicted the one that the angels told Mary and Joseph about. And so we're working on this idea of entering into that. How do we recapture um, wonder? Well, part of the way we do is realizing that God actually enters into the muck and mess of our world in order to to rescue us and bring about new life. So Jesus is here. He's going, we're going to be looking at Luke, starting with chapter 12. Chapter 2, verse 21, and, um, and seeing what it is that Mary and Joseph do as they go along. So follow along with me. 21 says, after eight days had passed, it came time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Mary and Joseph, um, they named the baby Jesus as the angel had told them. And Jesus means God saves, Yahweh saves, saves. So continuing, they go now to the temple. When the time came for their purification, verse 22, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. So here's this man, Simeon. Um, He's in the temple. He's aware of what God's up to, looking for when this is going to happen. And he's declared as righteous, which means that Simeon actually was in right standing with God. But he was also devout and his devoutness showed in his commitment and faithfulness in his relationship with God. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. Another way of saying that, he was looking for the comforter that would come, this one that would bring comfort to Israel, that would begin to bring Israel into the rightful place that they needed to be. So he's looking for this one who would come, who had been prophesied about, who would bring comfort. Verse 26 says, "'It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit.'" that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. You know, it's three times that Luke reminds us over and over again that the Holy Spirit is actually guiding Simeon. So it's important as we hear this to realize that God's actually setting people in place to now proclaim who this Christ child is. God's going to make it very clear to everybody So verse 27 says this, guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents, being Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have done and prepared in the presence of all people. So Simeon scoops up this baby, you know, have you ever had that happen? Somebody picks up your child, you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? But he scoops up this baby, he says, my eyes have now seen your salvation. This is the God who comes to save, to do what we cannot do ourselves, but do what we can do because of God's grace. And he goes on and he says, verse 32, a light of revelations for the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. This is a baby that's given for all people. It's given for insiders and for outsiders. And verse 33 goes on to say that the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. So there's this sense of This is all happening and they're observing it all and they're finding themselves amazed and being again reminded that this child has been chosen because he has a great destiny that God's going to fulfill through him. So Simeon blessed them and then he turned to Mary and he said this, verse 34, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And then he said to Mary, and a sword will pierce your soul too. So this child is going to be sort of a dividing place. This child is going to be a place where people's hearts and motives become made known. And it's visible in the midst of the child's birth. Simeon clearly says, this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been hoping would come. And so he again lifts up this child and says, Come and look, come and see, come and believe, because this is the child that has been promised to us. Going on in Luke 2, verse 36, it says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanael of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. So Anna joins in this prophet to talk about, yes, this is the child that we've been waiting for. This prophecy reminds the people That this promised redemption that God has is now here. This child is here and he's going to change up everything in the way that the world operates and in the way that people know God. And Luke's very careful. So part of Luke's task here is to actually talk about how the temple becomes a focal point for all the people of Israel. So he's very careful to talk about how it's at the temple and around it that the major festivals, and um, religious festivals, all occur. For Luke, the temple is the community of faith that gathers and celebrates um, who they are and how God works. They have this sense of their identity being founded in this God of Israel. The temple is also a place where children are offered and incorporated as part of the family of God. It's a place where old men and old women gather to remember the past, but also to long for the future. It's a place where the offerings are are brought and people submit themselves to God, where prayers are offered and songs are sung. And this temple worship actually practices and it shapes this sense and growing sense of who Jesus is, what his identity is and how it is that God has called him. So all of this is really important for us to get because it reminds us that Jesus didn't just sort of come in the midst of this vacuum, but Jesus came in as the true Israel who was going to now lead people out of bondage and into freedom. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit here. And the reason I say that is because we're fast-forwarding because the next part of this passage actually talks about Jesus now as a 12-year-old so he goes from being eight days old, being presented in the t- into the temple, to now being a um, middle school kid, which is really great. And so here he is now, he's this 12 year old who's beginning now to wander off doing his own thing. And Luke is really, um, is really uh, unique in the gospels because it's the only gospel that actually talks about Jesus's life between his birth and his public ministry that probably happened somewhere around 30 years old. So it happens to be Passover. Jesus' parents are getting ready to go on that trip together. It's a trip that they make every year together, the scripture says. Every male Jew over 13 years old that lived within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem was required to attend Passover in Jerusalem. But it's interesting because the men, or excuse me, the women and the children were not obligated to go to this at all. So this text actually makes it very clear that this pilgrimage um, to Jerusalem is attended by the whole family. Um, The women and the children were not obligated to go, but there's an obvious demonstration of their faithfulness to God. So Luke's very careful and making sure to really show us all these rites of passage that were associated with Jesus' birth. And he takes care to point out that from the very start, Jesus went through all the rituals, the customs, the religious laws of the people of Israel that took place at the temple. It was during the 13th year then that a child was often considered an adult, but a male became a full member of the community at age 30. And it's also clear that Mary and Joseph are very aware and wanting to see Jesus have a firm foundation for his own spiritual growth. They want him to understand and see his story in the ancient story of Israel, a story about God walking in covenant relationship with people. Um, There, there would be a relationship. They would know that God was their God and God would know that they were God's people. So picking up now at verse 41, let's listen again to um, what happens next. So now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they wound up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth Nazareth, and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So when this Passover festivity was over, the family packed up and headed home, only to discover a day into the trip that Jesus actually wasn't with them. Jesus had disappeared. Where was he? Uh, And so they mount, his parents mount a search to try to find him. It it sort of reminds me of um, a church one time that had a bulletin and the bulletin said, this morning's sermon is Jesus walks on the water and tonight's sermon is searching for Jesus. Like, where did he go, right? And so it's sort of a funny story, isn't it? I mean, after all, what parent would leave a crowded city, one that was not their home, travel for a whole day without noticing that their child was missing? And on the other hand, What 12-year-old that was from a loving home would calmly detach himself from his parents and enter into the portals of one of the most daunting buildings in the city to be found three days later actually debating the teachers and the theologians? And on top of that, what mother, after finding her missing child after three days, would simply be astonished? I think we're hearing sort of a censored version here. Uh, I imagine, you know, Mary saying, son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been looking for you everywhere. <laughs> I don't think so. That's not what I would have said. I mean, what would you have said? <laughs> I can still remember one of the fathers of my youth group who, you know, we got off the bus and I realized that we had left his kid because his kid had not got back on the bus, left him at one of the amusement parks. And, you know, he said some stuff that day that I can't repeat here in church. <laughs> But it's interesting to note, too, that Jesus, even as a pre-adolescent, I mean, just even as a 12-year-old, he's already shaking things up. He's making his parents search him out. And he doesn't really say, hey, I'm sorry. Instead, he says to them, you know, it should have been obvious to you. You know who I am. Going to Passover every year must have been a great adventure for Jesus. Just like Samuel in centuries before, you know, you can imagine Jesus being powerfully moved by that place but part of the reason is because this was the place where the most important events of his life would actually happen in that temple and Luke is giving us a glimpse into the fact that Jesus was living into the reason that he had come he was after all Emmanuel God who is with us One of the things that we do when we're in that sort of 12-year frame, that middle school time, is that we actually start to develop a sense of identity. And that identity that we form is actually something that, that is done because we have strong family ties or we have spiritual experiences or we have a sense of a calling and a vocation in our lives. And Jesus found his identity by affirming his relationship with God. So Mary, you know, in her frustration, she says, Son, why have you treated us like this? Don't you know your father and I have been anxiously searching for you? And Jesus responds, Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what it was that he was saying. There's an interplay here in the Greek between these two uses of father. Mary really is referring to a term that's a family term. She's referring to Joseph as Jesus' earthly and legal father. And Jesus responds, but he shifts the idea of father to his mission as the son of the heavenly father. And so his, so he changes it and they're surprised. But there's a little bit of a tension in this story too because you start to wonder, you know, as Mary and Joseph have watched this child grow and go through these 12 years, have they forgotten what his mission to the world is? Uh, In such a short time, these 12 years, have they forgotten the angels, the shepherds, the prophecies, and the promises? And Jesus, he doesn't even apologize for causing his parents anxiety. Instead, he says they should have known where he was, and that was okay. Do you ever wonder if Jesus ever got put on restriction? Or maybe had his allowance cut for some reason? But there's a truth that I want us to see here that I think is even beyond that. And that is that finding Jesus is always a surprise because he always changes us and challenges us and helps us to understand who God is can you remember when you first believed and maybe you haven't yet and it's something that you should think about there's a great Quaker sharing question that says this um, when did God become more than a word to you I like that question because it's sort of disarming when did you come to know God how have you grown in your relationship with God I can identify with some of what was happening with Jesus because even as a teenager, I realized one day that I didn't really have any true friends. I I had people I hung around with, but all of that was actually a lot more transactional than it was relational. And yet, in the midst of that, this sense of wanting to know and be known was actually something that opened my life up to God's love. I can remember being a senior in high school, and I ended up in a class with a guy named Grant. And I had known Grant for years. In fact, both of us as freshmen had actually gotten into a lot of trouble together. Um, but all of a sudden now in this class, as seniors, Grant was different. He told me that he had invited Jesus into his life and that God was now changing him and helping him to, uh, to change from the inside out. So for the next nine months in this class, I just sort of asked Grant every question that I had about God. And after that nine months, one day I told him that I wanted desperately what he had found. I wanted to know this Jesus in the way that he knew this Jesus. I can remember praying the first time and inviting Jesus into my life. And it's been an ongoing process since then because I'm still on that learning curve now for the last 40 years of growing to understand who God is more and more in my life. And I'm sure that's true of you as well. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gave an illustration. He sort of said it this way. He said, imagine yourself as a living house And God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on, sort of like Megan's story today. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not that surprised. But after a while, God starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts and doesn't seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is God up to? Well, the explanation... Is that god 's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. you thought you were going to be turned into a decent kind of little cottage, Lewis writes, but he 's building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Jesus will challenge and change every preconceived idea that we have about God. It's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking we've got God all figured out. And, but it's harder for us to actually allow God to be the true God of the scriptures. Jesus entered into a world full of real pain serious dysfunction, brokenness, and oppression. But along with that, he brings the power and the freedom to know God and to be set free. The message of Christmas is that rescue is on the way. Jesus is bringing deliverance for all people even when things seem hopeless. So Luke reminds us that Jesus is even more elusive than we had imagined that finding him always surprises us, changes us from the inside out. Kathleen Norris, in her book Amazing Grace, said that when she began to attend church services as an adult, she realized that a lot of well-meaning adults seem intent on putting, this is her quote, the vastness of God into small boxes. Don't fall victim to that. Allow God to break open the boxes, because God will do that. And Mary, you know, Mary's a good example of someone who doesn't fall into that trap. She's responsive to the mystery that's all around her. Her lack of understanding is not permanent. And Mary's unique because she is the only adult, I mean, listen to this, she's the only adult from the birth stories that will be carried over to the life of Jesus and into the life of the church. She doesn't stop here. Joseph disappears, but Mary doesn't stop. She's at the foot of the cross when Jesus dies for the sins of the world. And the reason for that was because Mary was able to let God adjust her views on the journey. And that's something that we need to learn as well. Luke 2.51 says this, and here's the answer to, the, um, to the, uh, having his allowance cut. Nah, no, he didn't. It says, he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. You know, wonder means living into the mystery of following God and inviting God to be first in our lives. Jesus' parents introduced him to Israel's practices that all helped him to develop his identity, understand his call in the world. Passover was not only a time of remembering, but Actually, Jesus beginning to see himself in his role in that story as one who would eventually bring deliverance to all people. He will be the Passover lamb of God. The God who delivers was walking the same roads, the dirt roads, as everybody else. He understands his life in the greater story of God's care and love for the world. So here's a challenge for this next year 2020 have you ever considered prior prioritizing your own spiritual growth in this new year Luke 2:52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor how are you creating space in your life to get to know God better If we want to become more like Christ, then one of the things we need to learn to do is to grow in the four ways that Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in his years, which means that he grew in stature. He grew in favor with God, favor with people. He grew in wisdom. Um, He actually developed and allowed his mind to be developed. He had a clear understanding of who he was and who God is and how God was with him. So maybe one of the things to ask yourself in this next year is, what would you like to learn this next year? What would help you to grow closer to God by learning that? You know, we've got some great classes coming up at Cal. They resume on January 8th. Um, we're trying to offer financial peace. We've got the Gospel-centered parent coming up. Um, there's also a class on testimonies where you get a chance to, to hear um, how people have lived in the reality of who God is. God gave each of us a mind. It's a gift. It's a kind of muscle. You know, the more that you use a muscle, the stronger it gets. But if you ignore it, it gets weaker. So, so how can we actually learn something new this year? Jesus also grew in his years. He grew in stature. And stature is the quality or status gained by growth and development. So Jesus grew in a way that people respected him and understood him. And wanted to be with him. So maybe this next year you need to develop a kind of physical goal. You know, sometimes we in the church tend to downplay physical goals. We think they're not as spiritual. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So is there a kind of or physical goal that you need to think about in this new year? Jesus also grew in favor with God, and so there's a spiritual development. Um, what spiritual goals do you have in this new year? You know, one thing that crosses my mind, and maybe you've already done this, and if you have, that's great, but why not put down some roots in a church family? It might help you to grow spiritually this next year. When I was a university chaplain in Northern Arizona, one of the things that happened um, with all the first year students was they had to make a decision whether they would go to church or not. There was nobody at home saying, hey, get up, get out of bed, go to church. And so they had to decide if church held a value for them or not. Why would we go to church? Why do we come here? It's a good question. I think it's the same reason that Jesus and his family went to the temple. It helped to shape Jesus' identity and relationship to God. Anne Lamont tells a great story about a little girl who was lost. She was eight years old. And she kept sort of wandering the streets looking um, for a landmark so she could find her way home. And she couldn't find it. Finally, a police officer stopped and he picked her up. And he asked her where she was going. And She he started to take her to the police station and on the way they passed the little girl's church and she said you can let me out here because that's my church and I can always find my way home from there that's what we want to be as a church a place where people can always find their way home that's why we come here we sing, we pray, we search for Jesus so Maybe in 2020, it's time for you to actually make that commitment. And instead of just coming here, be a part of the family here. And then finally, Jesus grew in favor with people. And that's a kind of relational development. Um, How will you deepen your relationships? Which means with people here in the church as well as people outside the church. You know, maybe one of the ways is to actually team up and start serving somehow. Join a team that serves together. You know, KidZone has great servers, and there's a a community of servers that gather together to do things together. Family Promise is coming up, and they're looking for, um, they need help. And that might be one place that you could begin to serve. Maybe it's time to actually step up and become a part of a community, joining a small group. Or maybe it's a matter of just sharing with somebody else how God has touched your life and changed you. Why not somehow prioritize your spiritual formation in this next year? Bob Mulholland gives a good definition of spiritual formation. He says it this way. He says that spiritual formation is the activity of the Holy Spirit which molds our lives into the likeness of Jesus Christ for the sake of the world for the sake of the world. The question that he begs in that definition is, when people look at your life, do they see Jesus Christ? (laughs) What if in this new year, you gave yourself permission to live into the mystery of who Jesus is and how he works in your life, trusting that as you follow him, he will lead you to the best year ever. You know, Jesus modeled this By loving God and neighbor. It's the old story about the teacher, or the person asking him, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And he says, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus lived that and modeled it for us so that we could understand what it means to love God and to love neighbor. So Jesus stepped into this barn, into this messy world, and he wasn't ever sheltered from the real events of this life. He touched lepers. He ate with sinners. He forgave people when they did the wrong thing. He healed those who were sick. He brought those who were out of their mind back to a right mind. He mentored and discipled people to take over when he left, and he got mad at religious leaders who tried to block it so that people couldn't understand or would be held out of God's love. Jesus was a real Savior who modeled stepping into the muck of a barn, walking the roads that others walked, dying on a cross, understanding the good and the bad side of people, but still choosing to love them and to die for them. And this is the good news of Christmas. Jesus is not afraid to show up in your life. He's not afraid of that at all. He's not afraid to show up where things are tidy or unkept, where things are dangerous or where they're corrupt. He can be found in war zones and cancer wards, at the funeral home, the homeless shelter. He can be seen in the aftermath of the tsunami or an earthquake. He's with the addict, with the prostitute, the racist, the racist with the power to change their lives. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us in real life. So Christmas reminds us that God has come into our broken world in order to change it in us. When Luke resumes the narrative in chapter 3, 20 years will have lapsed in Jesus' life, more than 10 or more than 2 decades. And it's a long time for spiritual formation. It's easy for us, I think, to often take God for granted, to think we have Jesus all figured out. But what again if in this new year we actually made the resolution to grow closer to God, to join in with Mary and Joseph in learning more about this Christ child? Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen says this, When you search for me, God says, you will find me, if you seek me with all of your heart. Today, that's our challenge, to be able to seek God with all of our heart, because the promise is true. Whenever we seek him, we will find him. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and as they do, I'm going to invite us to pray together. So, God, we have a whole near, new year ahead of us, and um, but we also know that you already know what awaits us. There's nothing that surprises you. And so we ask that you would fill our lives with your presence. Emmanuel, you who are God with us, uh, be with us. Give us your peace. Give us your love. Give us everything that we need as we face this new year to realize that you're with us, walking with us and guiding us. We give you praise and we give you thanks and we're thankful for your presence in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us? to uh have you here, to have a chance to to think about the new year, and maybe this is your first time, if it is, we'd love to have a chance to meet you. You'll notice on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for you to fill out. If you bring this to the Information Center, um, they'll give you a free t-shirt, just as sort of a a gift, but a thanks for being here. We'd love to meet you and get a chance to um, walk with you and think with you about this next uh, year together. Um, As you're leaving that way, there are some people right over here to your left that are willing to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody today, we'd love to have you take advantage of that. Um, 2020 is just around the corner. It's coming up pretty quick now, right? So again, there's new classes being offered. We're looking at resuming Cal on January 8th. We're also looking at developing more small groups. We'd love to have you get in a small group if you're not. And it's also a time when sometimes people will sort of adjust their small group or change their small group. And so if you're interested in anything like that, Cecilia and I would be glad to talk with you about it. Uh, But most of all, I'm really hoping that this year, you'll really come into this next year Filled with the kind of wonder that comes from knowing this Christ child who came into the world to really change us. And my hope and prayer, our hope and prayer for you, is that you would experience Christ's peace in this new year. So may you go with that peace. And um, we'll look for you next week, same time, same place. God bless you.